So let me ask you this. First of all, who are you and what do you do? I'm uh, Brendan Fay. Um, I'm a gay activist, a filmmaker. I'm from Ireland. And I've known Brendan for years. I caught up with him last week at a gay pride march in New York's Greenwich Village. So you and I are standing right here on the Hudson River. The sun has just set over in New Jersey. What is the significance of, of why we're here right now tonight? We are right standing here right on the piers of New York City. From the time of Stonewall in 1969 and before and since, lesbian, gay men, bisexual, transgender people would come from all over the world and knew that the piers in New York City just below Christopher Street was the place to meet our kind. If you're unfamiliar with Greenwich Village, Christopher Street runs from 6th Avenue down to the pier on the Hudson River on Manhattan's west side. It's also the home to the Stonewall Inn, which back in the 1960s was the only gay bar in the city where dancing was allowed. In those days, police raids were common. On June 28, 1969, undercover cops raided the bar and things turned violent. Word spread, riot police arrived and clamped down on a growing crowd. A series of riots ensued over several days and this ignited a nascent gay liberation movement. A year later, activists across the country marched to mark the Stonewall Riots anniversary. And this was the basis for gay pride events that now happen every June. In 2016, President Obama declared the Stonewall Inn and Christopher Park just across the street as the Stonewall National Monument. And it's part of the National Park Service. You see, unlike other people who know they can meet one another, anywhere where they grow up and where they live, if you're gay, you have to think about where can you meet people like you. And you see, that, that's often still misunderstood. Why do we need places like this? Why do we need places that become known as gay bars? Because you know what? We still cannot be ourselves wherever we grow up. And that's why we have so much work to do. So when I come to a place like this, and as we did tonight when we raise the rainbow flag against the New York skyline, it represents our movement. All those who've gone before us, a generation, in fact, who came here and died here during the AIDS crisis. And some who lost their lives to violence, some who the pain got so much that they could not bear it any longer and ended their own lives. How many were hospitalized? Were told they were, which we were, that it was a mental illness. When I came to this country, homosexuality in the Ireland that I left in 1984 was a criminal offense. The America I arrived in also made it um, that I could have been denied entry to the country simply for being gay. I think we have only turned a corner as human beings on this issue. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting and PRX, this is Us and Them. It's the podcast where we tell stories from America's cultural divides. I'm Trey Kay. So June marks Gay Pride Month, and across the country, parades and festivals celebrate the progress of gay rights. 
but they also highlight the ongoing struggle against discrimination and hate crimes. As my friend Brendan pointed out, homosexuality has been criminalized and diagnosed as a medical illness, both by medical professionals as well as family members. She thought I was sick. She said, oh, it's just terrible. Living in sin and all those other You know, she just was horrible. That's Bill Richards. He's a floral designer in Charleston, West Virginia. And he's telling me about a conversation he had a long time ago with his mother about him being gay. One time she said, I'd just like to know one thing. Just what do two men do together? And I said, I don't think you want to hear that. And she said, I asked you a question. I said, all right, you're going to get an answer. And I gave her a full-blown description of every kind of sex you could have. And she never asked another question ever again. I hadn't seen Bill in over 30 years. I knew him when I was a teenager, and I'd worked delivering flowers for a florist. Bill worked in the back room cutting and arranging flowers. He was a really nice guy with a great wit. I remember him keeping everyone entertained with jokes he'd crack. Bill was one of the first out gay men that I knew back then. Well, he was as out as much as one could be back in those days. A couple of years ago, I went to the flower shop in Charleston where Bill works these days. We can just sit right down here over to this table. Okay. Bill grew up in Raynell, West Virginia, which is a town I know well because that's where my grandmother was from. It's a little tiny place that you get to after driving a long way over West Virginia mountains on switchback roads. Growing up in Raynell, Bill knew that he was different from the other boys. When I was just a little tiny toddler, they told me how I used to, and we had, they, my grandparents had flowered linoleum on their floors, and I used to get a brown paper bag and go around and pretend to be picking the flowers and putting them in my bag. And then I would always go out and pick dandelions and bring them in the house. And uh, anything I found blooming, I'd be dragging them into my grandmother, especially, you know, because I spent that time I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And the only person in my family I ever heard say a derogative thing about me was my great-grandmother. And she said, that little sissy needs to be taken care of. She said, you are just making a bigger sissy out of it. Oh, and before we go any further, I think I should let you know that this program has some pretty blunt language about sex. So if you're listening with children or are uncomfortable with this kind of talk, heads up. I hadn't ever had any problem. You know, I just, I had sex with girls, you know, quite frequently. And uh, I just thought that was the way things went. And and when you're young and dumb and full of cum, you know. (laughs) Uh, you proceed with that. So, anyway, I, I read a lot, paperbacks. So, I was at the uh, drugstore and I saw this paperback that said City of Night. Well, I picked it up and I read the foreword and I said, Oh my gosh, I've got to have this. City of Night was written by John Retchie and published back in 1963. It's about the travels of a young man, we never learn his name, but he makes his way around America as a hustler. 
and he has trysts with a bunch of peculiar characters. The book was popular in the 1960s. Some say that Jim Morrison of The Doors was influenced by it. But back in Raynell, West Virginia, City of Night was resonating with young Bill Richards in a major way. And I flew over to the flower shop and I jumped into that book and read it within, before midnight was that night, the book was absorbed. And it was about gay life in the city. Bill says when he was a teenager, he had sex with girls and boys. He just thought he was a sexual guy. But after reading City of Night, he had a clearer understanding of who he was. He started making trips to Charleston and over to Richmond, Virginia, the closest thing to the cities described in the book. He went looking for gay bars, and in one of these joints, he met someone. So I met this guy in Richmond, and he was moving to Chicago. Well, I just sold everything I had, was on my way to Chicago. Bill says that he and this guy were like country boys in the big city. Their relationship ended quickly, and soon thereafter, Bill says he was hot on the scene in the town's gay clubs. So I was there about six months. When I'd run out of my money, I'd call my parents, and they'd send me a little money. And So finally, one day, I asked them to send me some money. Well, when I went to Western Union to get the money, they said, uh, well, your parents are at your apartment. So I go home, and they're there, and they have me packed up and, and uh, said, you're going back to West Virginia. Well, I didn't have much choice. I, I came back. Before I was going to Chicago, my dad said to me, and this is terrible, but it's the only way he knew how to say it. He said, just because you're a queer doesn't mean you can't make me proud that you're my son. And he said, I'm, I'm never going to say anything to your mother. Well, she figured it out. So she, and while I was in Chicago, she'd, we'd talk on the phone and she'd say, you know, you're, you're living a life of sin and you're going to go to hell and, da, 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 and you're driving me crazy and so on. Bill says after his mother discovered he was gay, she'd constantly mail him clippings from Billy Graham newsletters, stuff about homosexuality being a sin. I've had so many Billy Graham clippings and preacher clippings and things that I should have saved them. You know, people thought, they thought you were sick. You know, she thought I was sick. When I came back here, that was the same thing. Every time I'd hear from her or see her, it was that same old song and dance. So that, that, that you're full of sin, and that you know yeah. you got to repent and change your ways. Yeah, and, and then uh, so I was I started dating Ann, and uh, who's Ann? Ann, well, she's the girl I married, and uh, started dating her, and uh, so I decided to mar get married. You know, that maybe that would settle things down a little bit. And, uh, of course, my mother was thrilled to death, just thrilled to death that I was going to get married. That still doesn't change your feelings deep down inside your feelings, you know. And and Ann knew that I had fooled around. And uh, she was fine with it, she said, you know. 
we had a pretty happy six or eight months, you know. And then I started slipping off a lot, coming to Charleston, you know, stay overnight and so on. So then uh, we had a son, Michael, came along. and So it wasn't too long after that that I knew I just couldn't uh, handle it anymore. But by that time she said, well, you bring, just bring Frankie up here to the house. If you're going to see him, bring him up here. You need to be here at the house, you know. Frankie was the man that Bill and, was seeing uh, at the time. So I did. And uh, so then, I don't know, maybe six weeks went by or something, and I said, one day I just said to her, you know, Ann, it doesn't matter how much sex we have. You can't, you know, you could wear me out sexually, but mentally my sexual desires are not fulfilled. So I said, uh, I'm going to leave. And this is, we talked about it, and she agreed. And we packed up, I packed up stuff, got in the car, and she drove me to Charleston and dropped me off at Frankie's house. Well, about three weeks later, I went, was out at Clendenin working in another little flower shop helping do a wedding for a friend of mine. And the state police came to the, in the door at the flower shop and they said, uh, they'd like to see William Robert Richards. And so I went out there and they had a warrant for my arrest for uh, sodomy. Coming up, Bill explains his connection to a 1970s made-for-TV movie starring Joanne Woodward and Sally Field. Dr. Wilber said from day one, she said, I truly believe that you are born a homosexual. And she is the woman that convinced my mother that to be gay was normal for me. We'll also hear about Bill's relationship with his son, Michael, who was told that his father was dead. I'm Trey Kay, and this is Us and Them, which is supported in part by the West Virginia Humanities Council, the CRC Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. In difficult times, music gives us peace, brings us together, and helps heal us. It calms our nerves and brightens our days. That's why we're bringing you classic episodes of Mountain Stage on air and in our podcast. This is Larry Gross, host of Mountain Stage. Find something that's familiar or brand new and feel the power of live music on our website, mountainstage.org. So, let me ask you this. First of all, who are you and what do you do? I'm uh, Brendan Fay. Um, I'm a gay activist, a filmmaker. I'm from Ireland. And I've known Brendan for years. I caught up with him last week at a gay pride march in New York's Greenwich Village. So you and I are standing right here on the Hudson River. The sun has just set over in New Jersey. What is the significance of, of why we're here right now tonight? We are right standing here right on the piers of New York City. From the time of Stonewall in 1969 and before and since, Lesbian, 
gay men, bisexual, transgender people would come from all over the world and knew that the piers in New York City, just below Christopher Street, was the place to meet our kind. If you're unfamiliar with Greenwich Village, Christopher Street runs from 6th Avenue down to the pier on the Hudson River on Manhattan's west side. It's also the home to the Stonewall Inn, which back in the 1960s was the only gay bar in the city where dancing was allowed. In those days, police raids were common. On June 28, 1969, undercover cops raided the bar and things turned violent. Word spread, riot police arrived and clamped down on a growing crowd. A series of riots ensued over several days and this ignited a nascent gay liberation movement. A year later, activists across the country marched to mark the Stonewall Riots anniversary. And this was the basis for gay pride events that now happen every June. In 2016, President Obama declared the Stonewall Inn and Christopher Park just across the street as the Stonewall National Monument. And it's part of the National Park Service. You see, unlike other people who know they can meet one another, anywhere where they grow up and where they live. If you're gay, you have to think about where can you meet people like you. And you see, that, that's often still misunderstood. Why do we need places like this? Why do we need places that become known as gay bars? Because you know what? We still cannot be ourselves wherever we grow up. And that's why we have so much work to do. So when I come to a place like this, and as we did tonight when we raise the rainbow flag against the New York skyline, it represents our movement. All those who've gone before us, a generation, in fact, who came here and died here during the AIDS crisis, and some who lost their lives to violence, some who the pain got so much that they could not bear it any longer and ended their own lives. How many were hospitalized? were told they were, which we were, that it was a mental illness. When I came to this country, homosexuality in the Ireland that I left in 1984 was a criminal offence. The America I arrived in also made it um, that I could have been denied entry to the country simply for being gay. I think we have only turned a corner as human beings on this issue. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting and PRX, this is Us and Them. It's the podcast where we tell stories from America's cultural divides. I'm Trey Kay. So June marks Gay Pride Month, and across the country, parades and festivals celebrate the progress of gay rights. But they also highlight the ongoing struggle against discrimination and hate crimes. As my friend Brendan pointed out, homosexuality has been criminalized and diagnosed as a medical illness, both by medical professionals as well as family members. She thought I was sick. She said, oh, it's just terrible. Living in sin and all those other You know, she just was horrible. That's Bill Richards. He's a floral designer in Charleston, West Virginia. And he's telling me about a conversation he had a long time ago with his mother about him being gay. One time she said, I'd just like to know one thing. Just what do two men do together? 
And I said, I don't think you want to hear that. And she said, I asked you a question. I said, all right, you're going to get an answer. And I gave her a full-blown description of every kind of sex you could have. And she never asked another question ever again. I hadn't seen Bill in over 30 years. I knew him when I was a teenager, and I'd worked delivering flowers for a florist. Bill worked in the back room cutting and arranging flowers. He was a really nice guy with a great wit. I I remember him keeping everyone entertained with jokes he'd crack. Bill was one of the first out gay men that I knew back then. Well, he was as out as much as one could be back in those days. A couple of years ago, I went to the flower shop in Charleston where Bill works these days. We can just sit right down here over to this table. Okay. Bill grew up in Raynell, West Virginia, which is a town I know well because that's where my grandmother was from. It's a little tiny place that you get to after driving a long way over West Virginia mountains on switchback roads. Growing up in Raynell, Bill knew that he was different from the other boys. When I was just a little tiny toddler, they told me how I used to, and we had, they, my grandparents had flowered linoleum on their floors, and I used to get a brown paper bag and go around and pretend to be picking the flowers and putting them in my bag. And then I would always go out and pick dandelions and bring them in the house. And uh, anything I found blooming, I'd be dragging them into my grandmother, especially, you know, because I spent that time, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And the only person in my family I ever heard say a derogative thing about me was my great grandmother. And she said, That little sissy needs to be taken care of. She said, You are just making a bigger sissy out of it. Oh, and before we go any further, I think I should let you know that this program has some pretty blunt language about sex. So if you're listening with children or are uncomfortable with this kind of talk, heads up. I had never had any problems, you know, I just, I had sex with girls, you know, quite frequently, and uh, I just thought that was the way things went, and, and when you're young and dumb and full of cum, you know. <laughs> Uh, you proceed with that. So, anyway, I've I read a lot, paperbacks. So, I was at the uh, drugstore and I saw this paperback that said City of Night. Well, I picked it up and I read the foreword and I said, Oh my gosh, I've got to have this. City of Night was written by John Ritchie and published back in 1963. It's about the travels of a young man, we never learn his name, but he makes his way around America as a hustler, and he has trysts with a bunch of peculiar characters. The book was popular in the 1960s. Some say that Jim Morrison of The Doors was influenced by it. But back in Raynell, West Virginia, City of Night was resonating with young Bill Richards in a major way. And I flew over to the flower shop and I jumped into that book and read it within, before midnight was that night, the book was absorbed. And it was about gay life in the city. Bill says when he was a teenager, he had sex with girls and boys. 
He just thought he was a sexual guy. But after reading City of Night, he had a clearer understanding of who he was. He started making trips to Charleston and over to Richmond, Virginia, the closest thing to the cities described in the book. He went looking for gay bars, and in one of these joints, he met someone. So I met this guy in Richmond, and he was moving to Chicago. Well, I just sold everything I had, was on my way to Chicago. Bill says that he and this guy were like country boys in the big city. Their relationship ended quickly, and soon thereafter, Bill says he was hot on the scene in the town's gay clubs. So I was there about six months. When I'd run out of my money, I'd call my parents, and they'd send me a little money. And so finally, one day, I asked them to send me some money. Well, when I went to Western Union to get the money, they said, uh, well, your parents are at your apartment. So I go home, and they're there, and they have me packed up and, and uh, said, you're going back to West Virginia. Well, I didn't have much choice. I came back. Before I was going to Chicago, my dad said to me, and this is terrible, but it's the only way he knew how to say it, he said, just because you're a queer doesn't mean you can't make me proud that you're my son. And he said, I'm, I'm never going to say anything to your mother. Well, she figured it out. So she, and while I was in Chicago, she'd, we'd talk on the phone, and she'd say, you know, you're, you're living a life of sin, and you're going to go to hell, and, da, 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 and you're driving me crazy, and so on. Bill says after his mother discovered he was gay, she'd constantly mail him clippings from Billy Graham newsletters, stuff about homosexuality being a sin. I've had so many Billy Graham clippings and preacher clippings and things that I should have saved. You know, people thought, they thought you were sick. You know, she thought I was sick. When I came back here, that was the same thing. Every time I'd hear from her or see her, it was that same old song and dance, so. That, that, that you're full of sin and that, you know, yeah. you've got to repent and change your yeah, ways. Yeah, and, and then, uh, so I, was, I started dating Ann and, uh, Who's Ann? Ann, well, she's the girl I married. And uh, started dating her, and uh, so I decided to mar- get married, you know. that Maybe that would settle things down a little bit. And, uh, of course, my mother was thrilled to death, just thrilled to death that I was going to get married. That still doesn't change your feelings deep down inside your feelings, you know. And, and Ann knew that I had fooled around, and uh, she was fine with it, she said, you know. We had a pretty happy six or eight months, you know. And then I started slipping off a lot, coming to Charleston, you know, stay overnight and so on. So then uh, we had a son, Michael came along. and So it wasn't too long after that that I knew I just couldn't uh, handle it anymore. But by that time she said, well, you bring, just bring Frankie up here to the house. If you're going to see him, bring him up here. You need to be here at the house, you know. Frankie was the man that Bill and, was uh, seeing at the time. So I did. And uh, so then, I don't know, maybe 
six weeks went by or something, and I said, one day I just said to her, you know, Ann, it doesn't matter how much sex we have. You can't, you know, you could wear me out sexually, but mentally my sexual desires are not fulfilled. So I said, uh, I'm going to leave. And this is, we talked about it, and she agreed. We packed up, I packed up stuff, got in the car, and she drove me to Charleston and dropped me off at Frankie's house. Well, about three weeks later, I went, was out at Clendenin working in another little flower shop helping them do a wedding for a friend of mine. And the state police came to the in the door at the flower shop and they said uh, they'd like to see William Robert Richards. And so I went out there and they had a warrant for my arrest for uh, sodomy. Coming up, Bill explains his connection to a 1970s made-for-TV movie starring Joanne Woodward and Sally Field. Dr. Wilber said from day one, she said, I truly believe that you are born a homosexual. And she is the woman that convinced my mother that to be gay was normal for me. We'll also hear about Bill's relationship with his son, Michael, who was told that his father was dead. I'm Trey Kay, and this is Us and Them, which is supported in part by the West Virginia Humanities Council, the CRC Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. From P- 